Well, good morning. It is so good to be here again, and I am looking forward to the day that this room is more full with more of you. And uh, we are going to be thinking, we are thinking and working on opening up. And, and I just, you know, I think about with just these current events, watching the news in the last couple days, you know, it is just such a reminder of how critical it is for the church to function properly. Uh, the, our culture, our, our society needs a healthy, powerful church. And uh, it, that, that is just critical. And as I think about, you know, discipleship, we looked at that last week. You know, we disciple in our families. That is the primary place of discipleship. Uh, to, train, um, to train each other within our families to think biblically, to honor the Lord and how we think about things and what we do. And when, when families aren't structured properly, uh, our culture and our society is, is damaged and harmed. And the church is a place that when it's functioning correctly, those of us who, who grew up and who struggled in our family, we can go to a place and we have God's family to invest in us, to, to train us, to teach us, to be a blessing in our life. You know, I, I look at this culture and I just think about the fact that, that our culture is in desperate need of rescue. And the way that we rescue our culture is really by rescuing individuals one person at a time. You know, you look at things, you just think, hey, what could I do to change all of this? How, how could we make this different? We make things different. We impact our culture and our society by sharing the gospel with, with one person at a time, seeing people come to know the Lord and seeing that result in blessing for a culture and for a society. You know, I, I just think about um, some of the things that God calls us to. God calls us as a church and as believers to stand against injustice. And I think about what happened with uh, George Floyd. What, a, what an incredible tragedy. Uh, that, that is just, I think about Psalm 82 too. And I think about this as, as I watched that video, I thought if I was there, what would I have done? Would I have intervened? Would I have made a sacrifice to try to help him personally? Uh, I, I th a friend of mine just mentioned something. He's like, man, people are videotaping instead of trying to rescue the man. And he just said, if that was me, I would rather that somebody try to rescue me than videotape. And these are complicated, challenging situations. But one of the things that God calls us to do is to be willing to sacrifice for the needs of another person. Psalm 82 two says this, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and to the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. Now, these are things, the things that are going on, we need to be interested in as believers. We need to be committed to and passionate about making our world and our country a just place. You know, I, I thought about this um, because on the news, my old hometown, uh, I, I watched this video of, of these protests that are happening. And I just saw um, just, just what was really, in many ways, heartbreaking is I saw people insulting police officers, uh, attacking them, um, not physically, but verbally. 
Um, the very people who, like, there was a bunch of people in an intersection, and cars are driving by, and their lives were, are endangered, and watching these police officers shut down traffic to protect the people that are, that are flipping them off and yelling profanity and insults at them. You know, there's another passage. We need to fight for the rights of those who are oppressed. But there's another passage, and it's Proverbs 17, 15. And it says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. You know, anybody who justifies a police officer abusing his position and his authority, that is wicked. And anybody who blanketly insults and attacks a police officer who's willing to sacrifice his life for your safety, that is equally wicked. And it's just interesting because in our country, um, people can't see, they can't make those decisions and think that through properly. And, and we have rioting in the streets and all those kinds of things. And it actually is a faithful, healthy, believing church. And by the way, the church is not a building. It's not an organization. The church are the Christians who make up the church. So a church, a healthy, properly functioning church is talking about healthy and functioning, properly functioning individuals. You and I need to think rightly. We need to wrestle with these things. We need to think properly about what's happening in our culture so that we can be an influence. Man, this is a time for us to be in prayer for the believers in these areas, the church in these areas, that people will be impacted, that they will have an opportunity to live out the gospel and to speak the truth of the gospel and to not use these things as, as an excuse, and even like those who are disgusted by the rioting, to not use that as an excuse to have a sinful wrong attitude. Uh, for those who are disgusted by um, the abuse of the innocent, which we all should be, to not use that as an excuse to sin against others. Uh, I just wanna ask you this, what do you think of when you watch TV and as you see these things, and I think our, our, the, the closing words of our sermon last week, I think, are Jesus' words. And, and as believers, um, this is how we should respond. Matthew 9, 36 says this, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into his harvest. Man, when we look at our world and our culture, that should inspire us and motivate us to reach individuals with the gospel. Because that is the only solution to the conflict and the difficulty and the problems that we're having. There actually is no other solution to it. And, and you know, this is just what we're seeing is a perfect expression of what Satan wants for individuals and, and for our culture. Um, Ephesians 6, 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is what Satan wants. Chaos, destruction, anger, bitterness, hatred, foolishness. Rather than 
be willing to stand up against un injustice and yet doing that with a love and with um, the, way, the way that God would have us do that. It is in times like this that it is critical for the church and believers to be functioning properly. And I'm, I'm excited as I think about that and as I think about our church. I am so thankful for the folks that attend Foothills Church, for the attitude and the heart that I see in people here. And this COVID-19, this whole COVID-19 thing has been a, a wonderful expression. And I've seen so many believers and actually even people in, the, in our culture functioning properly in it. And, uh, and I am really excited about just the, the consideration, the discussions in reopening our church for physical meetings. And I want to just show you a picture um, as I think about um, this. There's a picture of our auditorium. And we've been begun making plans. We've kind of set up chairs. I mean, this morning, there's chairs spread out all over the place. And they look pretty far apart, don't they? Uh, they, they are. It's amazing, as spread out as that is, uh, we can still fit a good number of folks within this church. And it's under the number that is required uh, by our governing authorities. And so we're very thankful for that. So this morning, we're going to just be talking about some of the biblical principles that allow us to think about the church and actually even just reopening the church. Um, what are the principles that guide that? And we're going to be talking a little bit more about that, and you'll hear, be hearing more in the coming weeks. But basically here, there are three principles that I want to uh, talk about as it relates to us as a church family gathering together. And we're going to be looking at two passages. Uh, one passage that we're going to look at is in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And um, we'll, we'll find our first two points in that passage. And then our final point we'll find in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. So those are kind of the two passages that we're going to go to as we consider the priorities that God gives us in the church and the reasons that we are working on opening the church. Uh, and the church isn't closed. Uh, let me rephrase that. We are working on reinstituting gathering in the church. So here's the first reason, and there's three this morning. The first is as we consider this, um, gathering is a priority. Gathering together in the body of Christ, that is a biblical priority. And so we're not going to just set that aside, and it's not unimportant. It is significant, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Secondly, gathering allows us to function as believers in a way that we can't function when we don't gather. And so it's, that is part of what God wants us to do. And so we'll be considering that. The third is that as we gather, um, gathering needs to be implemented in a spirit of humility, in a spirit of humility and unity. And, and we're going to see how that is so important. And actually, in many cases, problems everywhere in culture and even problems in the church come because we don't approach the things that we're doing with an attitude of humility. So turn with me to um, Hebrews chapter 10, and we are going to consider our first two points in this passage. And just to kind of set the context of Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, the beginning section of it is emphasizing the work of Christ. And, and what Jesus has done in the New Covenant. It is amazing. And so if you look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, 
It says, but in these sacrifices, this is a, a, a discussion of Old Testament sacrifices. We're talking about, um, this passage is talking about why we no longer sacrifice. And it just says, in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The purpose of Old Testament sacrifices was never to remove sin. It was to remind people yearly and regularly that we have a sin problem. And this sin problem is so serious that an animal, an innocent animal, has got to die. And um, so that was, those were the sacrifices in the Old Testament. And they pointed to Jesus who would come. And Hebrews 10, 14 says, talking about the sacrifice of Jesus... It says, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being uh, sanctified. The reason we no longer sacrifice is because Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. And then we're going to look in this passage and we're going to see the ramifications of what Jesus has done. And there's three let us's coming up in this passage. Look at verse 22. It says, let us draw near. Because of what Jesus has done, we can draw near to him with the, full, with the heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, because he who promised is faithful. It's talking about the ramifications of a relationship with Christ. And this third priority is the priority of gathering together. That is an expression of what God has done in our life. We gather together. Look at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look at verse 25, those first five words, not neglecting to meet together. That is talking about a corporate gathering. And we, in the church, because of our circumstances, we have set aside, um, for health reasons, we have set aside that corporate gathering. Man, I don't believe that that was a wrong thing to do. I think that in, at, in t- at times that is appropriate, but not a permanent setting aside of a corporate gathering. God tells us not to forsake the assembling together. Th- that's a command. That is something that God says, this is a, a priority. And, and we'll consider why that is, but just to start with, God tells us not to forsake assembling together. When we think about risk and danger, on what would you be willing to risk something for? You know, there are people all over this world that risk their lives, not physical sickness. They risk being beheaded. They risk being dragged out and thrown in prison. There are many people who risk their lives Um, to gather together and to meet. And that's happened throughout history and it is happening today. And the reason for that is because gathering, public gathering, is a command of God and it is a priority. And for many, um, the church is the very last place they would want to see open. And part of that 
is a complete lack of understanding of the priority of public gathering. You know, Acts chapter 5, verse 29 makes this clear. And we're going to talk about authority and the importance of submitting to authority. That's another thing that God tells us. But when Paul, uh, when Peter and the apostles were told not to preach the gospel, this is how they responded. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The gathering in the church is a priority and it is a command. And, um, and so this is, a, this is a spiritual priority. And one thing I do want to say is that while the church has, has set aside its corporate gathering, and there is a significance to that, the church has not completely set aside the corporate gathering. Uh, the church still gathers. We're gathering in smaller groups. We are gathering virtually even right now as together we watch the service. And that is an amazing blessing and something I'm very thankful for. And so, um, so our gathering in many ways has continued. Um, but our corporate gathering is unique and is, a, is important. And, um, you know, I just think about risks. You know, one of the things that I, it seems as though for many, um, taking any risk or, or they act like to risk gathering in the church is, is not an appropriate risk. And I just think about the risks that we take every day. In Orange County, there's been 136 people who have died from COVID-19. So 136, that's a lot. And part of the reason that that number is as small as it is, is because of the choices we've made to socially isolate, isolate and to separate. And so that number could be much higher. But here's the other thing, it's 136. Um, 80 people die in that same time frame driving their cars in Orange County. There's 700 people a day that die in a car accident in the United States, but there's about 80 people um, during that same period of, of time that die. And yet with two thirds of that death rate, I don't think twice about getting in my car every day, clipping my seatbelt, doing my best to drive carefully and continuing to take that risk. I think about kids. Um, th there are about three individuals in Orange County that drown every single, um, every single month. And most of those are kids between zero and four. And yet we don't close every single swimming pool because kids drown. I mean, that's a tragedy, but we do our best to be as safe as possible, but we assume risk in living life. And there's a lot more that we could say about that. And I would just say that there's a certain measure of risk when you consider the priority of gathering in the church uh, we should have a risk tolerance because it's important. And just think, what are you willing to risk to, to risk for? Um, the other thing, the other principle in this is that that we do honor God over men, and God does tell us that we need to, to that we need to meet. God also calls us to balance and to honor the authorities that God gives us. Uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 1 through 5. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over there, but I'll read it to you. And it says this, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. This is the amazing thing. Um, this, a lot of times we can look at our authorities and we can say, hey, they make some bad decisions. They do some foolish things. They do some things that are wicked and sinful at times. But even that is not an excuse to just disregard all authority. 
Um, this was written when Nero was in power. Paul wrote this about authorities when Nero was in power, who he was a wicked, evil man. Uh, he, used to, he used to disguise himself and run through the streets and just stab people in the streets. He would just kind of run around and, and try to kill people. He took Christians and he fed them to lions and just had them destroyed for people's entertainment. He took, street, he took Christians, dipped them in tar, and lined the streets of Rome, and he would just turn Christians into streetlights. This was a, an evil, wicked man. And Paul says, we honor authority. Even the times when they're wicked, when they're persecuting us, when they're harming us. That doesn't ever mean we obey authorities over God, but it means that we honor them to the degree that we can. Look at this. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will see, receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the... He is the servant of God and an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. You know, as I watch the TV and think about things, and I just see the riots and I see the looting, one of the things that I think about is that is the way we would live every single day were it not for law enforcement, were it not for our governing authorities. And, and as much as our governing authorities can at times do things that are wicked and evil, as much as the people who wear a uniform whose purpose is to protect and care for us, as much as you can have corrupt individuals who do things that should never be done, as a whole, government is given for our, our protection 1 Peter 2.13 says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it is to the emperor as supreme or to governors sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Um, we need to not just casually disregard our authorities. And that's in spite of the fact that sometimes they do things that in our mind is, is wrong or even foolish. And I've struggled with a lot of the COVID-19 things. Uh, if you know me, you know that uh, it is incredibly frustrating to me. And this, on the level of things going on, it's insignificant that they closed beaches. Uh, that, that's so anti-scientific. And yet we still honor the authorities that God gives us. And, and I want to just say that there are times that the apostles um, were willing to suffer persecution and they stood their ground. When they were told not to do things by the government, they just said no. Or when they were facing persecution, and I would just make this analogy, when they were facing persecution or experiencing danger, and I think that there's an analogy to the health risks of things, there's times they stood their ground and they said, you know, we don't care what the risks are. We are going to stay and do what God's called us to do. Um, Acts 5.17, the, the apostles are arrested for preaching. In verse 19, an angel releases them from prison. And what do they do? They go right back to the temple and start preaching. And then again, uh, in, 520, in 5.29, they say, we will obey God rather than men. And uh, in Acts 21.11-13, the apostle Paul, there's a prophecy made. Paul, if you go here and preach, you're going to be in physical danger. You are going to be physically harmed. 
And the Apostle Paul's response was just to say, not only am I willing to be physically harmed, I am willing to die for the sake of the gospel. And so there's times that we just say, we don't care what the risk is. We're going to do what God has called us to do. There are other times when, when persecution came, believers fled. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 10, 23. He says, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will have not gone throughout all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The book of James was written to a whole group of people who had fled to avoid persecution, to avoid danger. And um, the, the, this is not a perfect analogy, but I would just say that, that it's not wrong for us to say, there's danger in this location, there's danger in this place, I'm going to avoid that for physical safety. I think when we consider the well-being of our society, um, this, the government asking the church not to meet, that's not persecution. Um, that's a desire of our government to say, how can we care for people's physical health and safety? And so we, we do balance God's command for us to meet, but we also think about the well-being of our culture and of our society. And so I think for us to set aside meeting, um, that's, that's a good, honorable thing. And I think it's right, and we have worked to continue doing the things that God has called us to do. But also that is a priority that we need to balance and that we need to maintain. And so gathering is a priority. And so then there's a question. I mean, first of all, it's a priority simply because God talks about assembling together. And that isn't talking about two or three people here or there. That is talking about a corporate gathering. Um, but it also tells us, uh, one of the things that we could also consider is what is it that we do uniquely in a corporate gathering that we don't do virtually, that we don't do when we are spread out? And so um, I want to just look at uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. We'll look at that again. But before we read that verse, I want to just say that I have loved a lot of things about this uh, COVID-19. There are ways that shutting down our corporate gatherings has been a blessing and has allowed us to improve our ministry. I think that God has used this for good in the church, that we would be more effective I'm thankful um, just for the many people that have, have an improved connection, that have worked diligently to connect and fellowship and love and encourage the people um, who are reaching out to a, gr a greater degree. I've seen a lot of that. That has been a blessing. Our improved use of technology, we didn't stream at all before this. And even though, from what I understand, our, our YouTube feed isn't working again this morning, um, hey, we will work on getting that fixed. And even though we're having glitches, we are so far ahead of where we were before this started. And that's given a great opportunity for, um, for unity. One of the things that I've seen in the midst of this is people working together and being unified. Um, an opportunity for people to sacrifice for others. I think about our church staff as we've worked on solving these problems and trying to figure out how to ministry, minister, just how this camaraderie has developed. That's been awesome. The extended connection. There are people who would have been physically unable to join us who are now joining us. There are people who may not have set foot in church, but they do flip on uh, YouTube. They do turn on Facebook. They do tune tune in on our website, and people who may not put their feet in our building are watching online, and, and I'm praying that the Lord would use that to help them 
then take a step into our church family, into our building. But there's a lot of ways that this has been a blessing. It, it's, it's changed our environment. It's forced us to do things in a fresh new way. But, but those are all benefits, but there are also some things that don't happen as well when we are not gathering together. And those are magnified as time goes on. Um, being a part of a church virtually, when you do that for a short period of time or because you're traveling, that's one thing. But being a part of a church virtually on a permanent basis, you are missing out on what God has called you to do as a believer. Look at this, uh, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And I would say that there are ways that we don't love each other, that we can't love each other as well when we're apart than when we're together. There are ways that we cannot stimulate one another to love and good works when we're isolated and when we're virtually involved rather than being together and involved. There are ways that we don't encourage one another when people are isolated and separated that do happen well when we are together. This whole issue of what we're called to, this stirring up to love and good deeds, that's a really powerful word that's used in a negative sense, the stirring up. And it's used in a negative sense um, about this sharp disagreement that took place between Paul and Barnabas. Have you ever been around somebody and you're just so intensely irritated that you just couldn't control yourself and it was just so difficult? And, and that intensity, we are supposed to have that same intensity, um, not for the purpose of division, but for the purpose of encouraging one another. And I just think about uh, the many ways I've seen that happen during COVID, but that could happen even to a greater degree when we're together. But I just think about all the people who made phone calls and how inspiring that was. I think about Craig and Shirley driving around to people in our church and dropping off plants. Man, what an encouragement that was. I think about the Bergs dropping off those pink flamingos with the little notes in the lawns and people were spreading those around. That was an encouragement. I think about the Ginders even just making these, these masks for when we gather again for, for us to be able to give people. What an, what an amazing blessing in a way that people have stepped up and been encouraging. And that just goes on and on. And we're to do that all the more as we see the day drawing near. And that just provides this sense of urgency. Jesus is coming back. Our culture and the people around us, they need to know the Lord. It's a sense of encouragement. Um, eventually, we won't have to do all this because we'll be with the Lord. And it's comfort, because when Jesus comes back, we will finally be with him. But what are we to do? We are to stimulate one another to love and good works. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that that's what God saved us for. Now, um, I want to just, in addition, consider this. That the church is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator sport. The church is something that we do, and it's not something that we watch. And I think a lot of, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, virtual church is just as good as church in person. And I think if you think that, then it's because you don't actually understand what is supposed to be happening at church. You don't understand the nature of the church if you think it can be done in the same way virtually as it can in person. 
That is not the same. I was having a conversation with some friends over Memorial Day, and uh, we're, dirt, we're all dirt bike riders, and we, we were just sitting and talking about this whole, what's the, the priority of gathering in the church? And one of the things that we talked about was a Supercross, which is this amazing motorcycle race. And, you know, you could sit in your living room and you can watch the Supercross, but that doesn't make you a motorcycle rider because you sit in your living room and you watch people racing a motorcycle. And I just think about, you know, um, in some ways it's more comfortable. You can just, you're not hot, you're not outside, you don't have to brave the crowds to get into a stadium. You just sit in your living room, you kick your feet up and you drink a soda and, or whatever it is that you're drinking and, and you just watch this thing. And you always have a good view because wherever the people are, the camera moves there. And so you just kind of sit and relax and it's easy and you watch. Man, when you go in person... It's different when you go in person, and I love, I've been to the Supercross, and I love being there because while you hear the roar of the engines, it's different when you're in the stadium. It is different. Um, I, I, I'm a dirt bike rider, and I love the smell of two-stroke oil and exhaust. And so as these motorcycles are riding around the track and I'm sitting in the, in the stands, I smell two-stroke oil, and it just makes me happy when I smell that burning in the exhaust. It's amazing. And so uh, in some ways, and actually I've heard a lot of people talk about church. It's like, yeah, it's one thing to watch it, but it's just so much better when I'm there. Well, in the same way that, um, that it's, it's, it'd be nice to watch a Supercross on TV, it's even better when you're there and you experience it. But I just have to tell you, neither of those is what God has called us to as believers in the church. Um, God has called us not to watch motorcycle riders, not to watch the church, not to watch a sermon, but God has called us to be motorcycle riders. It's so different when I take my dirt bike and I load it up and I go out in the desert and I actually ride up and down hills and all around a track, then I'm actually riding a motorcycle and that's different. God's called us to show up to church, not just to watch it on TV, not just to hear the sounds and experience the, 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 the smell and, and not just be there physically. God has called us to contribute. You know, it's interesting when you read this passage on Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, that it says, don't forsake the assembling together as is the habit of some, but consider how you may encourage one another to love and good deeds. For a lot of people, when they show up to church, they show up, they watch, and they think about, what are you going to do for me? And there's a lot of people when they show up to church that they think, you know, how am I going to serve? How are you going to serve members of my family? We are to show up to church to do church. We are to show up so we can serve. And I think about there are many things when we participate in the body of Christ properly, there are many things that don't happen in the same way when we sit in our living room, they don't happen the same way when you make a phone call as when you look people in the eye, when you spend time living with them, participating with them, being with them, serving them. There are gifts that God intends for us to use that the truth is during this COVID-19 period, there are a lot of gifts that have not been functioning the way that they need to function and the way that the gifts need to function, but there are people who are not being blessed by those gifts who need to be blessed by them. You know, I think about just looking a person in the eye, like 
I, I, I have a daughter who, who hasn't lived here in town, and I can FaceTime her, I can talk to her on the phone, and I'm very thankful for those things, but nothing is as good as when she drives down here to Orange County and sits in my living room and we talk to each other and we spend the day together and we go and do things. That is so different than a FaceTime call. And it's not that there aren't good things that happen on a FaceTime call, but it is not the same. To look a person in the eye, to notice needs. The other day I was talking to somebody and they just said, hey, are you okay? Because you seem preoccupied. That kind of personal connection and understanding how people are doing and noticing what's going on in people's lives is not the same online or virtually as it is in person. Um, platforms can become a hindrance. Internet connections, not being able to figure out where to click, people talking when their mic is muted. I mean, there's all kinds of logistical challenges to that. Uh, ministry in person is better than ministry um, on, over, through a screen. The use of gifts. Uh, there are Sunday school teachers that aren't teaching kids through this COVID-19 thing because of the logistical challenges. There are kids who in the midst of this time are not being taught because they don't have Sunday school teachers that are systematically teaching them. And yes, we know parents need to teach their kids and there's ways that we can work around that. But there's a reason that even for math in our public school system, um, are kids learning math as well online or in the system as they, as they do when they're in class? And I would say most of the time not. And I think the same is true for the church. You know, I would say one of the, one of the significant things is when you gather on Sunday morning, you notice when someone's not there. And you say, well, where are they? Sometimes you'll have a conversation that actually, because you see somebody, because you talk to them, God puts them on your heart and you reach out to them. There are people in all of this that are falling through the cracks, that are isolated, and as hard as we work, um, and that can happen even with the church gathering, but there are many things that happen when we're gathering that don't happen when we're not. And it's not that nothing happens. It's not that there's nothing that is good. But there is a significance to showing up. And as a church, we need to work back toward that. You know, church is not just about learning and knowing. Church is about being known. And when you sit in your living room by yourself and you watch something on a screen, people aren't knowing you the way they would if you showed up on Sunday morning. And as, if people spent time with you and connected with you. And church is not about just hearing a sermon. It's about being known and participating in the body of Christ. And actually, I'll just tell you this. Um, the wonderful ministry that's been happening in our church through this COVID-19 period has happened because we gather together. And there have been foundations laid in our corporate gathering that have allowed that ministry to continue when we haven't been able to gather corporately. But if we had always been in this condition, that ministry would not be happening the way it is. And we need to make sure that we don't allow this to become a permanent uh, situation, that we don't allow this to go on for months and for years. We need to start moving back to gathering together. Now here's the, the fourth or the third uh, principle that we're going to consider this morning is this. Gathering needs to be implemented in a spirit of humility. And um, 
And I just want to say this is significant, and uh, so we'll go, we'll go quickly, but this is a significant point. We, as we gather together, need to do it in a spirit of humility. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. And one of the things that I want to tell you is that humility leads to unity. As we look at our culture, as we look at the world, as we look at all these opportunities for conflict, one of the things that I think is amazing about this most recent tragedy is that we, and actually COVID-19 as well, both of these things, everybody agrees that our goal is to see people be healthy. We don't, we don't want to risk people's lives. Everybody agrees with that, but we figure out ways in a culture and a society to fight over things that we all agree with and, and to be hateful and to blame one another. And this incredible tragedy, this abusive authority, this, this terrible thing that happened to, to a human being, everybody agrees that that was wicked, that it was sinful, that it was wrong. I've not heard a single person anywhere from any political side um, not condemn what happened, not be willing to do something about what happened. And yet, as a culture, we can figure out a way to blame and to have conflict even about things that we all agree on. And I would just say, as a church, we need to model unity and love for one another. And I think that the root of that is humility. Look what it says here in Philippians 2.1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy my joy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance and of one mind. Humility leads to unity. Prideful arrogance leads to conflict. Do nothing from selfish ambition. That's a self-centered pride. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but with humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, um, as I think about this whole attitude of humility, it's something that should characterize Christians. God's opposed to the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And as we think about this, I just look back and uh, as we've looked at this whole COVID-19 thing and, and the, the boats that we made for hospitals and all the hospital floors that we reserved, there has not been a single expert that's made any kind of prediction that has anywhere near um, represented what actually happened. We have tons of, like we were talking about, everybody's going to be dying in the streets and the hospitals are going to be overloaded and, oh, what are we going to do? And you want to know something? It didn't happen. They were all wrong. What's interesting is that those same experts um, started by saying, oh, there's no danger. This is nothing for us to worry about. And then they're saying, oh, my goodness, we're all going to die. Everybody's going to die. This is panic. And they were all wrong then, too. They were wrong when they said there was no danger. They were wrong when they said that there's danger. And now you look at, like, the, the choices that they're making. These are medical experts, by the way. None of us here are medical experts, but even the net medical experts have no clue about these things. And, and beyond that, in our, in our culture, there are so many people that give misinformation. They're so manipulative. They, they have such an agenda. 
people's health and well-being is not the objective. This whole thing becomes a, a pawn in some kind of an argument, which is just ridiculous. And so we need to start with the humility that none of us knows what's going on. I may take seven facts that I have with my great intellect and be able to figure out what we should do with beaches. But the bottom line is that there may be other facts that I'm unaware of that mean that what my evaluation and my personal estimation of what we should do with that could be completely wrong. God's given us a mind. He intends for us to think. He intends for us to make choices. He intends for us to make calculated risks. But the truth is, none of us knows the future. None of us really know all these things. And the more time goes by, the more we'll learn. But if there's one thing we know for sure, it's even experts don't know what they're saying because they keep changing their view and they say all kinds of things that are wrong. And so we need to understand that other people don't know and neither do we. And I think this humility of just understanding only God knows, we don't know. It doesn't mean we don't think. It doesn't mean we don't make choices. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be rational. But everything we do, we should do in a spirit of humility, of just saying, hey, this is what I think we should do. We should pray. We should be careful. But we need to be humble about what we're doing. And what that means is there are some churches that are arrogant. Some people are prideful and arrogant. And they'll just say, oh, if you really cared about God, you would be meeting. And anybody who's not meeting is a compromiser. And then you have other arrogant, prideful churches, prideful individuals who say um, anybody who meets hates everybody and wants everyone to die. And you're disregarding other people and you're not caring about other people. Those are both prideful, arrogant attitudes. And instead, what we ought to do is pray and just say, God, what are our unique situation? What are our circumstances? What are the things that we need to uniquely factor in and consider? And then we're going to prayerfully and humbly make the best decision we can. And other people might make a different decision. And I think that that's our attitude in churches. But that also should be our attitudes with individuals. When we open our church, we hope that folks will show up. We hope that you will, but we'll also be happy. We hope some folks will stay home. And one of the things that I love, we've, we've had some elder meetings recently, and just in talking this through with our elders, when we resume meeting, we have elders who are going to show up here on Sunday morning. We also have elders when we resume meeting who are not going to show up here on Sunday morning. And it's not because one of them is more faithful, more spiritual, more godly than the other. They both are godly, faithful men who love our church, who prioritize gathering together. But in their circumstances, they are making choices with wisdom. And, and every situation and circumstance is different. And so we're going to continue to stream. And if you watch online, that's awesome. And if you want to show up in person, we will welcome you. But we need to consider the needs of other people. A lot of the things that we're going to be asking people to do, as far as wearing masks and all those things, uh, I personally hate masks, and I hate wearing masks. But we're going to wear masks, and I'm going to wear a mask. And I'm doing that because I care about other people. And there are other people who don't want to wear masks, and that's fine too. And so all of those things. But, but if you join us, you're going to have to wear a mask. But we are going to do things to consider others more important than ourselves. We're going to be doing our best to honor the guidelines that we've, we've been given. Just a few things for you to think about as we resume gathering. Uh, you'll be getting a survey 
um, that where you can help us plan. But if you're sick and exposed to individuals who may have COVID-19, you can't come. Everybody who comes is going to use hand sanitizer. We're going to wear masks, except for the people up on the stage while they're on the stage. We're going to do social distancing. We're going to keep our building at 25% capacity. And we're going to sanitize our facility. We're going to make this place as safe as possible. But again, none of us are in control of anything. And every person needs to make their own choice, need to pray about it, make the right choice. And so we are... Um, just looking forward to coming. And we hope that as a church, we can model something, love, deference, consider, considering other people. I, I'm praying that our church and our Christian community will model something different than we are seeing on the television. What an incredible tragedy when the church has as much conflict as the world. That, that should never happen because we should be people that are marked by humility as we follow Christ. Let me pray for us. Lord, I just want to thank you for your kindness. Lord, the way that you love us, for these wonderful opportunities, all the ways our church has been blessed through the midst of this trial with COVID-19. And Lord, the way that that's going to continue. Lord, as we make decisions, I ask that you would give us wisdom. I pray for protection I know that we do not hold our life in our hands. You hold our life in our hands. You have ordained every single day um, that we have before there was even one. Lord, I thank you for uh, the way that you protect and care for us through our law enforcement officers, Lord, our government, those men, that, those men and women that daily put their life on the line to protect and care for us and, and to come when we're in trouble. And Lord, we are also brokenhearted, we're angry, we are frustrated, we're upset about the, the individuals who wear the uniform that abuse that authority. Lord, I pray that you would use this incredible tragedy to straighten that out, that people would take those things seriously, that, that we would work hard to have a society that's just. Lord, instead of being divided into factions that are just against each other, Lord, help us all to be unified around a desire for justice and a desire for what is right. And Lord, most of all, for us who are believers, help us to be salt and light, to have a powerful gospel life and a powerful gospel message in your name. Amen.